Welcome to our podcast, Women in STEAM, Perspectives from the Field. My name is Aspen Slavic Erlock, a member of Shorecrest Preparatory School's Class of 2022. I'm honored to run our high school STEAM club for girls and your host for today's episode. This podcast series is made possible by a grant from Intuitive, maker of the Da Vinci and Ion Surgical Robotic Systems. The Intuitive Foundation is dedicated to promoting the advancement of STEM educational programs, medical and technology research, healthcare training, and fellowship programs. Just in the past few decades, the United States has seen so much technological development. Even in the past few years, with everything ranging from space exploration to the Apple M1 chip, we've seen these innovations continue to come out quicker and even more advanced than ever before. While these successes are nothing short to be shy of, one must wonder if each contributor is equally recognized. Please join me in interviewing Andy Johnson from Tampa Bay Tech regarding her experiences in STEAM, what technological advancements she's seen through COVID-19, and biases that exist in the workplace. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks Johnson. for having me, Aspen. So to start us off, I'd like to begin with you giving us an overview of the fantastic work that you do as a part of Tampa Bay Tech. So how is it working on the executive board and as vice chairman? Yeah, thanks. Well, I have been in technology for over 20 years, everything from startups to Fortune 100 companies doing all different types of technology. Uh, On Tampa Bay Tech, it's a nonprofit here in the Tampa Bay area with the mission of radically connecting our tech community. And that could mean company to company. It could mean students to employers. Our job is to make sure that that we're helping our area get better in technology. Wow, that's fantastic. Thanks. That's so awesome. So uh, working in technology, how have you seen gender biases develop among the field? Yeah, so um, let's go into some real life examples. I think that that's always a good way to start. Um, a couple things that I've seen in my career, I'm not going to say where or with who, but we'll, we'll go through some examples. So, um, first of all, I was in a, a big strategy meeting. Um, there was probably about eight executives in the room and it was a two day session of strategy. And, uh, on the second day we did a succession planning activity where every leader, um, went through their succession plan. And during that time, I I was the only woman in the room and uh, everyone covered their plan and not a single person had a woman listed in their succession plan. And you had to name three different people that could take your role and there wasn't a single woman on the list. So that's one example. Uh, Another example is is, uh, recently... um, a department created shirts for their teams, like great Nike dry fit shirts just for fun. And they made the blue ones for the men and the white ones for the women. Yeah. And then uh, just another example is um, recently working with a vendor who uh, just having a great meeting with them. And they said, Hey Johnson, great job. And I thought, gosh, you know, normally you don't get called by my last name. Sure enough, I looked it up and a surname bias is a big deal. So those are just some examples of things that might seem incredibly simple and trivial, um, but whether they're intentional or unintentional, they separate us. That's incredible that that still happens, even though we, I mean, we have like inclusion talks mm-hmm. and all the stuff is being pushed through society, which is fantastic, yeah. but that that still happens even on a subconscious level, Correct. like you said, subconscious or conscious, yeah. it's still there. Wow. 
So, um, you know, I guess delving a little bit more into how the, the societal uh, start of these gender biases goes into our professional careers, as you were beginning to, to speak about. Um, when confronted with these issues, like you were saying, the, the white and the blue shirts, like different for women or being the only woman in the room, how do you still push forward even with these biases present? Yeah, so there's a couple ways of handling it. First of all, I wouldn't categorize those as discrimination, right? So if people are facing discrimination in the workplace, go to your HR organization or go to your manager or do what needs to be done um, because those things shouldn't happen, right? Now, these small micro moments are so easy to let pass by, you know, and even me, I'm, I'm a senior leader in technology. I'm, I love my job. I love the work that I do. And nowhere in my job description is it to correct bias, right? And so, you know, you're in these meetings and these things come up and often you don't want to stop and disrupt whatever, you know, difficult conversation you might be having or a negotiation or whatever it might be. But I think the easiest way to deal with it is to just mention it, right? So, you know, the shirts came up. I wasn't even in the department, but they offered me one. And, you know, I cracked a joke. I'm like, yeah, I'll take a blue one, right? Like, oh, I don't want yeah, the white one. Okay. Um, or even with something like the surnames, it's like, okay, why we ended up having a conversation with that partner of like, why did you just call me Johnson? And what does that mean? And we, we actually Googled it and found this study from Cornell that, that had the results of it. So I think it's just about making the conversation as comfortable as possible. Yeah, sometimes it's not right. And sometimes, you know, you need to know your audience, but, but when you can say something, Right. And, and, and make the correction because most of the time people don't even know it's happening. Yeah. I think, I think what you said right there is really profound. Most people don't know that it happens. Yeah. We're kind of just surrounded by it. It happens subconsciously. Yeah. Like you said, I think little jokes and little things kind of make us question, Hey, why did we have different colored t-shirts? That yes. shouldn't make a difference. No. Um, and I think really in, in any field or in any situation, raising the conversation or the opportunity for one in a safe space to kind of challenge that stigma seems like a great absolutely takes so. and, and the person that actually got the shirts was you know a little embarrassed actually he's a great guy i love working with him um and so it was it was a good lesson for everybody for sure yeah, yeah. definitely so that kind of goes even into my next question yeah. was you know to women entering technology or any other steam related careers you know, maybe they're experiencing these roadblocks. You said just speak up when you can, offer these opportunities. Are there any other tidbits of advice that you would give to them? Yeah. So, you know, I think you know, we're talking about bias, but there, you know, it gets more complex than that sometimes, um, either with discrimination or being passed over for roles. You know, I think we all need to support each other, you know, and they, that goes across multiple biases, not just uh, gender biases in the workplace. Um, so one, you know, support your colleagues and speak up. Um, two, make it part of the conversation, make it comfortable so that these things aren't kind of hidden. I think that's really important. And then um, educate yourself. Uh, there's some really great programs out there. Right now, USF is doing this incredible certificate um, in DEI. Don't be part of the problem, right? And you know, I'm here talking about bias, but I have biases myself, right? So educate yourself so that, that we don't continue the problem in the future. For sure. Mm -hmm. Do you think acknowledging that, like I know we talked about, um, you know, just a couple moments ago, setting a stage for those conversations. Mm -hmm. Do you think that by simply acknowledging it, people can at all help? 
Yeah, I well, the concern right now is there's there's this big push in educating around bias, but what what the studies are showing is that the, it's not actually working. That these the programs aren't changing things. Um, there isn't a good answer other than we've got to change the culture, right? We've got to change the culture in the organizations. Often that comes from top down, um, so there's a responsibility there. Uh, and again, it's just about you know as as often as possible being aware of it and having the discussion. I think that's our best shot of making change. For sure. So speaking of of biases, you kind of delved into this a little bit, just outside of gender bias alone. Mm. Um, I know we talked a few weeks weeks ago about the University of South Florida graduates, specifically regarding those statistics that outlined just Mm -hmm. how high the unemployment rate was for these autistic graduates right after college. So tell me a little bit more about this. I was super intrigued by, I mean, was it 85%? Yeah, so I I was invited um, about six months ago to a session with um, some executives at Microsoft who run their DEI program. And part of the session was around their autism at work program. And what they do in their autism at work program is they host a week long session where they bring in um, students that are about to graduate from university uh, that are autistic. They come in and they coach them on how to interview, how to have a great resume and uh, and then on the final day, they actually interview for some roles and they hire about eight to 10 candidates. At least that's what it was when, when I had chatted with them in these programs. And I left there thinking, gosh, if if Microsoft has to put all of this investment into a program just for Microsoft, how are some of our smaller mid-sized companies ever going to be able to, you know, hire, correctly hire and place um, students with autism. It's a challenge. It's a challenge that a lot of organizations are facing. And it's a challenge also because there is this giant workforce coming that we don't know how to accommodate. So the stats are that in the next eight to 10 years, 500,000 U.S. students will graduate that are on the autism spectrum. And today the stat is that 85% of students that graduate with, that are on the autistic spectrum are unemployed, which means there's two things going on. One, employers don't know how to hire. They don't know how to read the resumes. They don't know how to interview properly. They don't know what roles to place these students in. Um, and, and two, we probably aren't giving the right accommodations um, to the students as well, right? So there is this big challenge. It's not about PR. Oh, I have, you know, someone with autism that works in my company. This is about employing this entire workforce that's coming. And we know that um, typically there's they're great at some really important roles in technology, uh, development, data, security, uh, and often much better than uh, a, t- a typical diverse um, person is. So, um it's really exciting. Uh, what we're trying to do here at Tampa Bay Tech is uh, to really replicate some of the things that Microsoft's doing well and to host that same program here in our area for students from USF and then also um, for the companies here in the Tampa Bay area. So we have a lot to learn. There isn't a formula to do this correctly. Um, we, we need to educate ourselves as well. We expect that we're going to have to start really small, uh, but we're excited about, you know, Hopefully, helping to close the gap just a little bit here in Tampa Bay. That's fantastic. Thank Even you. just getting the word out, I had no idea that that 
was even a stat that was out there until we had spoken. And yeah. that was shocking for it to be that high. But absolutely, that's that's fantastic that uh, even on a small scale that it's it's starting somewhere. That's so we somewhere. have to start somewhere for sure. Exactly. So uh, from, I know you, you touched a little bit on this, starting somewhere, bringing it to Tampa Bay Tech, bringing it to, you know, our community here in Pinellas County. Um, from your professional and personal perspective, what changes do you propose should be made in order to accommodate individuals and thus make for a stronger and more diverse STEAM community? And I mean, obviously this is including but not limited to people neurodivergent versus neurotypical, autism mm-hmm. spectrum, women, I mean, anything, what, what can we do to help? Yeah, I think I think there's a couple things. Um, one, I would love to see our companies in the U.S. globally be more transparent about statistics. Um, they aren't today. And Microsoft is one that, that puts out a really nice um, report on their workforce um, and are very transparent about how they're trying to solve those issues. I think companies are very nervous about putting those statistics out. I think by... Being more transparent, we can have a different conversation. So I think, you know, when you asked what can companies do, that's what they can do. Um, I think also we all need to work on our culture to be more inclusive. I think that's the other thing. And then finally, we all are responsible at every level of an organization and in every level of a community to be better and to be more educated and to be more aware in our everyday conversations. For sure. And I know a lot of that is just, like you said, having the stats available, having the the information available, having these conversations to use more inclusive language to, you know, be purposeful and kind with our words because we have no idea who that could be affecting. That's correct. Um, Just as like throwing it out there, I know you're not, uh, you know, tasked with creating programs to to have more inclusivity and diversity, but we know that these programs don't work as we were just talking about a couple moments ago. I mean, do you have any ideas? What do you think we could do to still educate, but have it be productive and not just fill out this worksheet on inclusive words? I mean, yes. what can we, what's what's the, the highest and best use of our time here to really make an impact both on the, on the uh, societal side and on the professional side? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not in HR, and that's typically an HR role, but I am a technology leader. Um, and so I focus quite a bit on how to close the gap with technology, right? Um, And there are very simple things we all can do to be more inclusive in our meetings, in our language. And there's really terrific tools to help us do that. For example, turn on captioning, right? That's that's so simple. Um, You're in a meeting and it's a virtual meeting and turning on captioning um, helps people concentrate. Or if you have people that maybe it's English as a second language, that helps them uh, absorb the information. Um, Ask before a meeting starts or a conversation starts, is there anyone that could require accommodation? That's a really simple thing to do. Um, there's really great tools to help you practice your presentations and speech um, embedded into PowerPoint and those tools like rehearse with a coach. By having more inclusive language, working on your tone, working on your tempo, those are really little things that help us have And a meeting that people can absorb the information better and and by default makes us more inclusive. There's things for um, making sure your charts are appropriate for people that are colorblind. There are accessibility checkers built into email. We just forget to use them. But if we always assume, like you said, that somebody needs that and shouldn't have to ask for it, we just make it part of our day, um, these things start to get better. 
That's a really great way of looking at it. I had no idea that they made uh, the colorblind charts. Yeah. I had a, I ran into a friend the other day that said um, a teacher and I were matching when we were wearing, like, different colored clothing. And I was like, oh. Yeah. He's, he's actually colorblind. He's very open about it. But yeah. it was a, a minor thing. Or even in the classroom, he was talking about how he had to color code something and it was wrong because he didn't know what to do because he he's colorblind. Yep. And I think it's really interesting to see just like what you were talking about, the minor things we could include that really, honestly, it just improves even if you don't happen to be colorblind or don't happen to be neurodivergent. Sometimes we're a little tired in the morning and we just need the captions to really keep us focused or something that's just really engaging rather than expecting everybody to reach this high level of unachievable productivity that most people, if not, if any people are No one can. Of course. Yeah, Yeah. if it's even accomplishable. So um, I know we talked a, a lot about professional side and, um, you know, what we can do as a society. And obviously, like you said, I completely agree. We're all responsible. We're all participating members of society. We all have things that would be offensive to us that we know would be unkind if we heard them yeah. and know that we should use our words more purposefully. Um, so, you know, kind of bringing that to a close, do you think there's, I guess, a, a projected change like, I, I, I see sometimes, generally, like, generationally, just through my high school years, I've seen things change over time just by who's saying them and different mm-hmm. speeches that are given and, and uh, feedback. But do, have you seen change, like, as far as biases just across the board? The biggest change is we're talking about it. We weren't ta- – this didn't even come up in conversation 10 years ago. Oh, wow. So it, I think that's a step in the right direction. Um do I really see big change happening? No. But at least we're having the conversation. I think that that's a really good start. Definitely. Well, and even talking about it maybe in some way influences the society, which can influence then people or organizations of a bigger power, like you were saying. it's yeah. It starts bigger, and then it trickles down into the workplace. That's so the hope. I think, I think it'll come for full circle, or at I least hope so. I hope that it will in, in coming years. But speaking of change, I know it's been on everyone's minds. COVID. Yes. We're wearing masks because of it. Um, so how, you know, kind of like a given, technology's probably changed. It's probably evolved and been more useful. Goodness, we know Zoom absolutely was mm-hmm. a, a savior for that. But um, how, is, how have you seen technology, like from the, the professional side being yeah. so embedded in that, how have you seen that change or flourish through COVID, um, you know, specifically as it was used prior and obviously now in 2021? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um the company I work for, one of the one of my teams supports our collaboration and meeting tools uh, for our organization. We have two hundred and sixty thousand employees all across the globe. So yeah, we saw change. Um, we saw our collaboration tools uh, just explode. Right. So the number of meetings increased, the number of chats increased, the number of like uh, the way we we share documents increased because we went from you know working in the office to to going home and going home all over the world. Um, so number one, that's been a big shift. Um, that is both good and bad. I think people have really enjoyed um, some of the flexibility gained by working from home. Okay, now I don't have to, you know, get dressed in the morning. I don't have to pay for gas to drive to work. And that's all been a plus. The downside of that is we are absolutely seeing burnout increase. Yep. And the burnout is happening um, not so much at the leadership level, but in the individual contributor and the frontline worker levels. 
um, which which is concerning. And then the other problem that we're seeing is that um, we're not cross collaborating uh, as much as as we used to. So you know maybe your your marketing tar- department isn't talking to your IT department as much because they're just not colliding or running into to to each other anymore. So that's concerning and things that we we have to work to address because I don't think we're ever going to go back to the way we were. Um, I, I think we'll end up in a hybrid, uh, and but certainly things will not be the same. Um, the other cool thing uh, that I've seen happen here is a you know spike in, in mixed reality, and those tools are really being used um, to uh, connect experts. So you can imagine you've got an expert in Malaysia that needs to guide an expert in uh, California on maybe a piece of equipment or medical equipment or um, you know something in a manufacturing line. Now you can use these mixed reality devices to help do training, um, help connect these experts, even allow customers to maybe see um, what's going on with their product, uh, which is really cool. And I think you know as we see this continue and evolve and move, you know, you know, things are going to start opening up again soon. Gosh, I hope, <laughs> um, and move into this hybrid environment. You're going to see more use of augmented reality, mixed reality, not only for the examples that I shared, but also maybe to help close a little bit of the gap on the collaboration front as well. Um, so you'll start to see more meetings using these technologies, and the more virtual offices get created where, you know, you're actually walking around the office in your augmented reality and running into your colleagues that are now avatars, right? So um, sure. that's, that's pretty exciting. But I think we we still have challenges that we, we've got to start to work on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think COVID's just been a huge catalyst with situations. Um, I know just purely as a student from the educational level, students and teachers alike having never experienced distance learning or virtual learning, just being thrown into the deep end and, you know, swimming and somehow making it work and pulling it together into now we have the option to be on campus or to be at home on flex, but both offer a very viable option to still continue to learn. So I think that's a, a really important point that you mentioned is that you know, there's this this lingering question of when will we return back to the way it was? And it, it looks like that we're getting further and further from that and maybe yeah. for the better that, you know, kind of bringing it full circle to being more inclusive. Like if somebody lives two hours away or if they're stuck, stuck in a snowstorm or if there's really bad weather, they can attend the meeting from home. You know, Absolutely. and they're they're just as included, and they're they're still like you said, maybe their avatar is is speaking and presenting on the board, and still having good posture and all yeah. those great things for presenting, but you know, still staying safe and still accommodating for the world that we live in, which includes COVID and includes natural disasters like hurricanes and weather and snowstorms and all that. So, absolutely, I think we're really seeing a turn here for the better. Maybe it's a silver lining for all that. COVID has put the world through. Let's hope so. Honestly. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I uh, greatly respect your time and I really appreciate the insight that you've given today. Thank you so much, Andi. Thank you, Aspen, for having me. The Women in STEAM Perspectives from the Field podcast series is a student production of Shorecrest Preparatory School. Theme composed by Julia Lagakis, class of 2021. Artwork by Shannon Ross, Class of 2021. Host, Aspen Slavic Gierlach, Class of 2022. Sound Engineering, Shania Dandy-Tall, Class of 2021. 
This podcast series is made possible by a grant from Intuitive, maker of the Da Vinci and Ion Surgical Robotic Systems. The Intuitive Foundation is dedicated to promoting the advancement of STEM educational programs, medical and technology research, healthcare training, and fellowship programs.